Well, we're in a series that I just entitled Loving Our Community, where we're taking a look at the grace and mercy of God. And in these past few weeks, we've taken a look at the grace and mercy of God that he has shown us. Today, we're gonna switch the focus. We're gonna take a look at how, or we're gonna take a look at the grace and mercy that God wants us to show others. And we're gonna ask this question, how do we allow God's grace and mercy to flow to other people? Because truly, this was a big topic for Jesus. When he gave his most famous sermon, Uh, The Sermon on the Mount, one of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 7 was this, blessed are the merciful for they will show, they will be shown mercy. In other words, he's saying that if you've received mercy, then guess what? You ought to be able to show mercy. So this raises the question, what is mercy? Well, here's our working definition. It is simply this, it is love in action. It isn't symbolic it is, it's got substance to it. It, it. It's an action. It, it's more than talk. It's more than emotion. It's more than a feeling. And folks, it is far more than pity. Mercy is compassionate. It is showing compassion to other people. Now this, this word, compassion, is an interesting, has an interesting concept that goes with it. Truly, when we use the word compassionate, We use it as a descriptive word, as an adjective, like, boy, that man sure is compassionate. He's a compassionate man. He is a compassionate woman. But do you realize that originally that word wasn't an adjective, that it was a verb. It was an action word. In fact, it wasn't pronounced compassionate. It was pronounced compassion eight. So I want you to write this down. Compassion eight is entering into someone else's pain. It is entering into someone else's suffering and not for the purpose of feeling sorry for them, but rather for the purpose of relieving their pain, of lifting them up out of the circumstances that they're in. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Let me give you an example between the the difference of pity and compassion eight. You see, pity says, hey, have you heard about so-and-so? They lost their job three months ago. Poor guy. That's pity. Compassion says, did you hear about so-and-so? They lost their, their job about three months ago. We ought to go over and find out what he needs. Maybe we can relieve some of the burden that he feels. That's compassion eight. Pity is, you know what? Did you hear about that single mom that uh, was in the hospital for three weeks and now she's home recovering? Poor girl, she just needs a break. That's pity. Compassion is, did you hear about that single mom that was in the hospital three weeks ago and now she's at home recovering? You know what? We ought to go over and find out what she needs. Maybe she needs a meal. Maybe we can babysit with her. Maybe we can relieve some of the stress that she's feeling. That is compassion. Do you see the difference? I want this to be perfectly clear because we live in a culture that is all symbolic. We love to place things on Facebook. Look at my compassion. But it's really just pity. God has called us 
to, to be lovers and love in action. And if you remember this year, or this year is the year of love. We took a look at loving God through prayer and then we took a look at loving others in our relational world through 1 Corinthians 13. And now in this series, we're just taking a look at loving other people. And this says showing them, in this specific case, mercy. In essence, mercy is love in action. It is getting your hands dirty. It is entering into their brokenness. And if you think about it, that is what Jesus did for you and I, didn't he? He entered into human history. He stepped into our condition, our humanity, our brokenness for the purpose of lifting us up out of our circumstances. And when Jesus was on this earth doing ministry in his most famous sermon, one of his beatitudes was, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who enter into someone else's pain, who enters in to lift them up out of their circumstances, for they will be given or receive mercy. Now, when I say, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, I am not at all saying that salvation is work-based that we can somehow, some way earn our salvation, that we can earn God's grace as we are just these merciful people. No, that isn't how it works. The Bible's really clear that you and I are saved by grace through faith in what Jesus did for us. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves, but as a result of receiving God's grace and receiving his mercy, we are to give it away. As a result of being in God's family, being a kingdom person, we're to be merciful. Rather than being a reservoir that holds God's grace and mercy in, wow, this is great. We need to be a river that, fl that, flows, that flows God's grace and mercy to others. And Jesus gives this warning. He says, if we refuse to be a river and show love in action, we are actually cutting off the flow of God's mercy towards us when we are in pain and we are crying out to God, God, help me in these circumstances. So what does that look like? What does mercy look like? Well, Mark in his gospel gives us a beautiful picture of what mercy is through Jesus healing a leper. Let's read this story. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, before we get into this story, let me talk with us about leprosy. You see, today, leprosy, um, in essence, doesn't exist, okay? It's not very prevalent, but in Jesus's day, it was. It was widespread. 
This was a disease that was, um, uh, they had no uh, cure for it. There was no prevention of it. It was a terminal disease. And what it would do is that it would first kill the soul and then it would kill the body. It would first kill the soul because lepers were outcasts. They could not live in community with other people. They were considered unclean. Leprosy was considered uh, an outward sign of an inward failure. And they were being judged for something. They did something that only God knew about. And they were being judged for it for that maybe moral failure in their life. And so leprosy truly was an outward sign of an inward failure. When the law of Moses, as we say, the law was given to the people of Israel out of the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, it says that lepers were to go not to doctors, but they were to go to priests because they wasn't considered as something on the outside. It was considered as something on the inside. And so they weren't called unhealthy. They were called unclean. To understand the life of a leper, let me read Leviticus 13, uh, 45. The leper must tear down clothes. the, The leper must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. Folks, this is the condition that this leper is under. He had to dress a certain way outwardly to communicate, hey, I'm unclean. And he had to vocalize, guess what? I'm unclean. I'm unclean. And he had to do this in order to protect the community that he was from. He he had to wear this mask and he had to vocalize, unclean, unclean. Look at me. There's something wrong with me. There's something that's not right. There's something wrong on the inside of me. I am a morally broken person. So you can imagine the humiliation, can you not? You can imagine the torment that this guy was going through physically because truly leprosy was eating away his flesh. The torment that he was going through mentally, he was confused. What did I do to deserve this? What did I do wrong? You can imagine the loneliness that this person was going through, can you not? He was rejected by all. He was rejected by his own family. Take a look at, let me read Leviticus 13, 46, the next verse. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Folks, for this leper, this was a walking death sentence. He was a dead man. He was banished from God. He was banished from God's community. He was banished from his friends. He was banished from his family. This was the condition that this poor man was under. But he comes to Jesus, and he comes to Jesus in a public way. The Gospel of Mark tells us that there there was this huge crowd following Jesus. This guy broke the rules. 
He comes rushing into a crowd that are following Jesus. And he says, unclean, unclean. And guess what people did? They created a path. We can't be touched by him because we'll become unclean. And yet this is significant. And we'll talk about this at the end. But in verse 40, it says that he came before Jesus. As people just kind of, they're backing off, they're looking. That he falls on his knees as if to pray. If you are willing, you can make me clean. It's like a prayer. If you are willing, you can help me. If you're willing, you can change the circumstances of my life right now. If you are willing, you can change me. It's interesting. As you read the text, he doesn't say, if you are able. Why is that? Because folks, he knew Jesus was able. Now I want to stop here for a moment. I want to contextualize that for us who live in Collin County in the 21st century. How many people today are afraid to come to church who believe they don't belong with God's people and yet think, I know that God is able, but is he willing? You see, the question that this leper asked Jesus basically is this, what are you willing to do to help me? And I just happen to believe that there are people in Collin County all around us, just like this leper, who have been relegated to live outside the camp, so to speak, who are untouchable, who don't measure up to the standards of the society in Collin County, who are crying out with their voice, just like this leper was crying out, are you willing? Are you willing to restore my dignity and consider me a human being? Are you willing to relieve my hunger? Are you willing to help me regain my life and help me get back on the right path? Are you willing to help me feel like I'm involved in a community so I'm not lonely anymore? Are you willing to show me faith and hope And love, those are the three things we're talking about in the next two years now. If you're willing, will you show me what Jesus is like? Folks, I'm asking you that question right now, right here in Collin County. Are you willing? Our culture is so much into symbolism. I just posted on Facebook, look at my compassion. It's just pity. And yet Jesus said, blessed are those who are compassionate, they are the ones that will receive mercy. Now Mark goes on in his gospel of this story and he says that Jesus was filled with compassion and he reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Jesus did the unthinkable, folks. He touched the leper. And when that happened, only one of two things could happen. Either the leper becomes clean or Jesus becomes unclean. Because according to the law, if someone touched a leper, you know what would happen? They would be unclean. They would be considered unclean. 
So either this man is going to get clean or this or Jesus is going to become unclean. Now, of course, we know the story, right? We've, we've read this. I don't know about you, but when I think of this story of Jesus reaching out and touching this leper and him becoming clean, I wonder, I wonder when was the last time that he had ever been touched? I have a high-touch ministry. I love hugging people. I wonder when the last time this guy had ever been touched. I wonder when the last time someone truly looked him in the eyes with compassion instead of looking down, looking away. I wonder when the last time he got slapped on the butt. This is football season. That happens a lot with guys, you know. Boom. Hey, good to see you, man. Hey, yeah, you're a man. Oh, that's that's kind of what goes on, okay, with guys. I wonder, when, I wonder when the last time he really got a real hug. I wonder when the last time someone wiped a tear from his eyes. And my guess is this guy had friends, but he had friends like himself, other lepers more than likely, that were experiencing the same kind of hopelessness. It said of Jesus that he was filled with compassion that he entered into this man's pain and he lifted him up, that he, by reaching out his hand and touching him and saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. And it's interesting, he reached out and he touched him before he spoke to him. When I hear that, I think, you know what? It's not enough just to preach. You gotta reach. It's not enough just to say words. Hey, we gotta help the the hurting, the helpless, and the hopeless. Hey, those are great words. You gotta, you can't preach, you gotta reach. You gotta reach out and you truly have to touch them. You truly have to invite them in. You have to show them the love of Christ before you can speak the love of Christ. As I often say at weddings, people don't care how much you know until they know what? How much you care. That's a trite saying, but I believe it's very true. I often think that the body of Christ has lost its hands and feet, and all it has right now is a big mouth. Are you willing? Are you willing to reach out and touch? The greatest sign of compassion ate that Jesus could have done was to do the unthinkable, to put himself at risk, his body at risk, his reputation at risk. And yet Jesus made the decision to do just that. Jesus touched this man and then he spoke to him, I am willing, be clean. And the man saw it first and then he heard it second. And you know what happened, don't you? The years of loneliness were loved away in a split second. And the loneliness was gone. And the disease was gone. And the perception of his moral nature disappeared. And he was restored in soul and he was restored in body. This hurting, helpless, hopeless, homeless person could now go back to his family. Now there's a couple of ironic things in this text. 
The first one that I want to point out to us is found in verse 44. Look at this. Jesus says to this leper, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Why in the world did God put that in the story? I mean, that's kind of weird, right? What, what is this all about? Hey, hey, leper guy, go and, and make the sacrifices that are recorded in the law of Moses, in Leviticus, okay? What, what sacrifice is he talking about here? Well, in your outlines, Leviticus 14 talks about the lep, a sacrifice that a leper needed to bring if he had been healed. Listen to this. The priest is to slaughter the lamb, that is the lamb that this leper had brought, in the holy place where the sin offering and the burnt offerings are slaughtered. The priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of, one of, of the one to be cleansed and the thumb of the right hand and then uh, the big toe on his right foot. I wouldn't, I'm not going to take off my shoe. I could. You couldn't smell it that far, but right there. What is this about? Well, in one sense, it's about this, that God's sacrifice covers him from head to toe, Right? But why this, what is this lobe thing and thumb and the toe thing? Well, to understand Leviticus 14, and I bring this up because I don't know about you, even as a pastor, when I go through Leviticus, I go, man, oh man, read through this fast, okay? To understand Leviticus 14, you have to read Leviticus 8, which is about the regulations to ordain a priest, a high priest in this case. Take a look at Leviticus 8. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear. Aaron is the first high priest. On the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Moses also brought Aaron's sons. They are gonna get ordained as well. Forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears and uh, on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. Do you see any similarities? What's the point? What's the point that the writer, Moses, is writing here that really Mark is bringing out in the text kind of in a hidden way? It's simply this, that, that the blood that cleansed the priest is the same blood that cleansed the leper. It's the same sacrifice. The same sacrifice that made the priest acceptable is the same sacrifice that makes the leper acceptable. Another point. There is nobody so unclean as to be beyond cleansing. And there is nobody so righteous like a priest or someone in their mind thinking that they're a pretty righteous person that is above cleansing. And so will you write this down? Whether you are a priest and you think, yeah, I got a pretty good guy, pretty good gal, or whether you are a sinner and you know it, okay, it is the same sacrifice for all of us. As we like to say in Christendom, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. The sacrifice that Jesus made, he made for those who think they're righteous, self-righteous, and for those who know that they are not because we all need a savior. Now there is a challenge here in this verse. And the challenge is this, who, who are the lepers that are in 
that live in our day, in Collin County, in the 21st century, and, are, and what are we willing to do for them? You see, I still happen to believe that Jesus is still in the business of saying and demonstrating, I'm willing. He still is willing, I believe, through the church, his body, through his people, to say, guess what? I'm willing, I'm willing to enter into your pain and I'm willing to lift you up out of the circumstances that you're in. But the question is, who are the lepers of our day? Could they be the person who has an alcoholic, alcohol problem and doesn't wanna come to church? Could it be a druggie? Could it be a sex offender? Could it be a single mom who's homeless? Could it be someone who has HIV and AIDS? Could it be someone who has a learning different kid and they don't wanna take him because they don't wanna be judged? I've been there, I have one. You see, who is it that bears in their body the signs of inward failure some bad decision, some moral bad decision that they made where you and I look at them from the outside and we wonder, and have we not done this? We look at them, we wonder. I wonder what their past was like that caused them to be where they're at today. And they're on the outside. 14 years ago, I went to England it was for our 25th anniversary. Well, it was really our 28th. And uh, there was a family that used to be here in the church work for Frito-Lay, or Dr. Pepper, the Hitchners. And she is an Anglican priest. So we went over to visit them. Had a great time. They took us around. We saw castles and we saw ancient churches. We saw ancient churches that people were still worshiping in. And when I was there, I saw these ancient churches and they had these little windows. They were about three inches wide and about, I don't know, three feet tall. And when I first saw them, I thought, those must be archer windows where soldiers would get their you know, bow and arrows and like that. But that, that isn't what they were. You know what they were? They were called lepers squints. Because a thousand years ago, leprosy was still around. And they weren't invited into the church. They had to stay outside of the church and they had to look through the little window or hear through the little window what was going on. When I am reminded of that, I think, who are the people in the 21st century in Collin County who are afraid to come in to Life Point Church that won't come in unless we go out and we bring them in and say, it's okay, you can be a part of this community because I happen to believe that's what Jesus did. He said, I want you to go to the highways and I want you to go to the byways and I want you to bring them in. I want you to bring them in to faith and hope and love and I want you to bring them in to be a part of the family. I want you to bring them in to find purpose and that is what we are about. Our mission say we join people seeking purpose and we offer life through Jesus Christ because we know and we understand some people know that God is able, but is he willing? And they won't come in on their own. They have to be invited. 
And Jesus touches this guy before he spoke to him. Jesus compassionated and entered into this man's pain. And I happen to believe that the lepers of today in the 21st century are saying the same thing. Are you willing to help me or are you just gonna leave me as I am right now? So here's the question that I want you to answer personally. What are you willing to do? As a church, we've just kind of offered it up. Run, give, and serve. Run, sleep in minimum. Run, 1K, 5K. Invite people. Give, give $33 per person in your household. For, not for us, for Houston. It all goes to Houston, which we're already channeling money down there to help them rebuild homes. And then go down, and it's coming, folks. That wall's gonna, I've already got like four or five groups that we're communicating with down south to get on that board that you can jump on their bandwagon and go down with them. I'll never forget, personally, about 14 years ago when I was sitting in my office during my sabbatical listening to a podcast about the responsibility of a pastor and his church to give back to the community in which he had prospered. And when I heard that, I felt so convicted because I thought, you know what? that point in time we were 14 years old I thought man I have prospered and I had nothing but a mindset of just serving myself and the people within the walls of this church and I broke down and cried I truly did Cheryl came in and said what in the world's going on George I says God has convicted me of something and I'm going to change and that set me out on a journey where we discovered homelessness as one of the issues that we need to address. And we started partnering with people, seven organizations, and you're gonna hear from Sheila in a little bit from Family Promise. Jesus touched and then he spoke. There's another irony in this story, and it's this. Remember, lepers had to live out on the edge of the camp, and so they lived in lonely places. Notice this. In verse 45, it says that the leper went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside, will you circle this, in lonely places. Isn't that kind of ironic? Jesus had to stay outside in lonely places like the leper had to. What's the point? It's this, mercy costs. It may cost you your time. You may have to get up early on Saturday at seven o'clock to get here by eight. Mercy costs. It may cost you your time. It may cost you your money. It may cost you your reputation. It may cost you your comfort. We like comfort. We don't like to get out of our comfort zone. We like to live in comfortable little silos. My hope and my dream is we set up, and I'm gonna tit on hope here in a few weeks, just gonna prime the pump of how to be hopeful. My hope and my dream is that in the year 218, as we diversify, that we will reach and touch more hurting, helpless, hopeless, and more homeless people than we ever have before. We're doing it now. We've got FPU, we've got uh, support groups for infidelity, that happens in marriages. We've got 911 marriage. We've got uh, grief share. We've got divorce care. We've got some mental things. There's some, uh, some seminars that we're offering 
to, to parents and students who have just challenges mentally in their life. But God, we, folks, we're just touching the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg. And my dream is that God will expand it. But understand this, it's gonna cost. You see, it, it, it costs to show compassion. There are consequences. But if you think about it, there are always consequences, aren't they? And Jesus made this clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you aren't compassionate, you will not receive compassion. But he says, if you are compassionate, what is one of the benefits? It's this, will you, will you write this down? The key, mercy is the key to answered prayer. You see, my guess is, not knowing this, but just speculating from that story that this leper was probably pretty compassionate with other lepers around. Wow. God heard his prayer. He says, I'm going to work. There is a story in the Old Testament about the, um, God's people coming back to their homeland after being in captivity in Babylon. They were praying for God's blessings and prosperity, that their walls would be rebuilt. But he, says, he said to them, in essence, and I've left it in there so that you can read it on your own when you go back home. He says, guess what? I'm not going to answer your prayers because you're showing no compassion you're not being compassionate <laughs> with those whose personal lives or walls have been torn down and whose homes actually have been torn down. I'm so excited and so proud of our church. I really am. And of the partners that we have. And I want you to give a big life point welcome to Sheila. Let's give it up for Sheila, okay? <laughs> Sheila. Love ya. She is a fireball, okay? I'm just gonna tell you this, she is a fireball. I love Sheila, when we've been in meetings, she adds life and spark and truth, okay? I know there happened at one meeting, Holly told me this, can I share this? I'm gonna, okay. Um, you really don't, okay? And what you share, I don't have a choice either. Um, um, but at one of the meetings, cause I mean, there's a lot of, I'd say tension, you know, as we're working out the contract and all this for the, for the grant. And there's lots of questions on Toyota because this isn't their world. But at the end of this meeting, Sheila leans back. And we're talking to these big execs, right? Do you guys not trust us? Did you not say that? Yeah. I mean, she tells it like it is. And I love you for that, Sheila. So this is LifePoint Church, at least some of us here. And um, we always like to add a little flesh to the person uh, who's there. We want to get to know you. So tell us a little bit about your story. Okay. Um, I have been a Christian for a long time. As you can tell, I'm old. But we'll just call me seasoned, okay? okay? Yeah. Thank you. I know. I appreciate that. I know. Um, but the reality is I am old. Um, but I've been a Christian a long time, have always been engaged in service. In fact, my career has always been in nonprofit. But you know, sometimes as a Christian, you get engaged in stuff because you're expected to do it, or you really have a good heart for it, but it really ends up being about yourself. You're trying to please people. You want people to like you, you know, all those things. And I wanted to be a good Christian. And so I just naturally moved towards that. And I had a really wonderful, I, I've had a really 
good walk with the Lord. However, I got married. Wow. And I know. And um, when you get married, your focus gets off of the Lord, sadly, and it gets focused on your marriage. And of course, I was one of these people that I didn't realize how self-centered I was. And I wanted my husband to make me happy. You know, be romantic. I don't have to be romantic, but you be romantic. You know, you be the leader, all of those things. And so my focus was on that, focused on being a good mom or having kids that made me look good, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And um, about five years ago, at our 40th anniversary, the Lord just spoke to me and said, Sheila, you've been in the desert for 40 years. So I went and told my husband, I said, I've been in the desert for 40 years. And he said, is there any correlation in the fact that we've been married for 40 years? <laughs> You know, okay, you're in the desert. And I said, well, actually, there is. Because, not because of him, but because of me. And I identified with the Israelites. You know, okay, take me out of, uh, you know, Egypt. And I'm going, why? Why I want to go back to Egypt? You know, that whole thing. Not depending upon God, but depending on everything around me. So I made the decision about three years ago to go back and give everything up to the Lord and start spending time with him every single day. Get up every morning and spend time with him. And oh my goodness, I have been on the psychiatrist's couch with the great physician doing his work in my life. And let me just say, this service, this uh, sermon was so meaningful to me because the reality is we're called to do two things. One, love him. One, love others. We try to make it so much more complicated than it is. That's it. And guys, we don't have a choice. You can decide as a Christian you don't want to do it, but he is the author and finisher of our faith, and he will get the work done. He may knock you down. He may have to do some hard work. So I don't have a choice. I'm serving because I don't have a choice. I retired after being with Volunteer McKinney for 10 years and then went to Habitat and worked part-time for another executive director, which was humbling. And, um, and I just wanted to be left alone. I just wanted to play with my grandkids, go to work for 20 hours a, a week, and that was it. All of a sudden, someone told me about family promise of Colin Cowell. You should apply, Sheila. You would be great. They're not going to hire me. I'm old. They need someone young and vital and all that stuff. So I applied. I didn't go through with it. And I got this email from the executive direct, I mean, from the board president saying, well, we just wanted to see if you're going to apply um, and I said, well, I'm only interested in part-time. So a week later, she said, well, we've been talking. We think we could offer this as a part-time position. So I went ahead and applied, still not believing I'd get it, and I got it two years ago. And I went, Lord, why? Why? And in this process of spending time with him every day, the Lord said, oh, I'm going to have you directly do direct services. You're going to have to work with people who are struggling. So here I am at Family Promise working with homeless families with children that look like, look just like you and I, that are just, have a great big hole they fell in, and we're trying to get them uh, back to some stability. Tell us a little bit about Family Promise. 
Well, Family Promise, again, helps homeless families with children. And how we do it is we have 12 church partners throughout the community. And they truly are the hands and feet of Jesus. They bring those families in four weeks a year. They sleep at their church in different Sunday school classrooms or a prayer room or wherever. Mm -hmm. And they are there for a week, and then they go to another church. And usually, it's a tough kind of situation for the families because they're moving all the time. So usually the families are in the program no longer than 90 days. We're working with them on trying to find them jobs. We're doing case management. Sometimes they come in with jobs. We have an almost home program, which is a transitional program. And that program allows them to be um, stay longer if we have a house available to do a little bit more. Maybe go back to school, get their GED, move them from uh, mama salaries to um, uh, living wage salaries. We also have a car program, and that will allow them, if they don't have a car, they have a car to use, and sometimes we give those cars away to the families as needed. And our focus is case management, dealing with financial, dealing with counseling, just dealing. I mean, these families come in, and they're devastated. A lot of them have uh, degrees and masters and all that. They're not your scraggly guy. Those are real. I worked at Terrell State Hospital, and they need, they need us to touch them. Mm -hmm. But these are families that look like you and I. If they walked in this door right now, you wouldn't know them. Mm -hmm. um, I know this, you may not be aware of this, but the coalition is made up of five partners. We're one of them, uh, Collin County Cares. Uh, but then there's, um, um, M, not Emily's Place, uh, Shiloh's Place. Then there's uh, Agape Resources. There is a Family Promise. And then there's one other one. Hope Store, yeah, Hope Store. And it was a God thing on how this all came together because when the grant came out, we caught wind of it kind of in January-ish and we started calling around and a lot of our partners were already applying themselves and these four other ones hadn't, so let's pull it together. Let's, let's do something. Let's see if we can't win a, a million bucks over two, two years. And it came together and we did get it. And each of the different partners has a specialty. So uh, Sheila, share yours. Well, first of all, this wouldn't have happened without your church, okay? It wouldn't have. And we are deeply, all of the partners are deeply grateful. This collaboration has been powerful. And I want to state, we've had to remind our donors of this, we didn't get any money. No. There is no money for us. There's a million dollars, 500000 a year, but it goes to the program. It goes to transportation, housing, school, child care for 40, fam 40 single moms with children. So um, the, uh, my portion of the pie, I, I, you know, I wasn't at a meeting one day. Holly and I was late. We came in, and I found out what mine was. <laughs> I didn't really have much choice, so, but I'm in charge of buying cars, which is kind of fun, though. Um, you know, so I get to buy cars for these families. If a car, if a family needs a car, or they have a car that has a huge loan on it, or if it needs repair, we're going to focus on getting them a newer car with less uh, mileage on it. So that's kind of where we, we all work together as the executive team. We make decisions. All of the families that go into this subsidized program, this 500000 a year, will come from each of our organizations. Very good. Well, this is Life Point Church. <laughs> Sheila, give them your best shot. Okay. All right. let, let them have it. <laughs> 
uh, tell them whatever you want. Can it's I not stand? Me. You may. Okay. Okay. First of all, I want to thank all of you for what you do. Thank you. Thank you for supporting these organizations. We depend upon you helping us do what we do. And I cannot tell you, uh, I just cannot even thank you enough, but thank you. The last thing I want to end, I, I just want to leave you with, and this, I, I'm speaking from experience. If you're not spending time with the Lord every single day, taking that moment to get to know your Savior, do it. I encourage you. It will change your life. It will change your life. You, um, it, it gives you clarity. And as good as this sermon was today, and it was powerful, it can't sustain you if you're not in the Word yourself, if you're not getting to know Jesus. So I know what a difference it's made in my life, and I am so deeply grateful for it. And if uh, pa Pastor George would let me, can I kind of close in prayer? I, I don't have a choice. I know. Sheila. I know. I love this gal. <laughs> Sheila, I, it would be a blessing for us and an honor. Life point, let's bow our heads. Sheila's gonna close us. Father God, I am, I just stand amazed in your presence, Lord. You are a wonderful God. You love me. Your grace covers all the mistakes I've made and the, all the mistakes I will make. But I am so grateful to you, Lord. I am so grateful that you draw us into you and you teach us. And you said that if we seek you, you will come. I thank you for this church. Oh, my goodness, Lord, I thank you for what they're doing in this community. I thank you for the leadership. I just praise you, Lord. And I pray blessings upon everyone in here. In your precious name, amen.